must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your co-host, Stephanie Wyrock, and today I'm joined by Dr. Sharon Gorman. Dr. Gorman has been a physical therapist for over 20 years, and she has an expertise in acute care physical therapy. She's a professor at Samuel Merritt University, where she performs research in interprofessional education and acute care presentation. And she's also very active in international service education and serves as the president of the Academy for Acute Care Physical Therapy. So today we're going to talk to her about her service-based learning and kind of what she's done with this at Samuel Merritt and also maybe some tips for other physical therapists, healthcare providers, and programs to kind of apply service-based learning to their curriculum. So thank you, Sharon, so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, First, those of our audience members who maybe aren't familiar with you, do you think you can tell us a little bit about yourself and where you got to where you are today? Uh, Yeah, I've been a physical therapist for, I'm going to go with over 20 years. I like that. Um, I've worked primarily in acute care, but I have done a little in skilled nursing and home health, but acute care is my kind of one love. I was that person in PT school that said, oh, I want to work in a hospital, and everyone thought I was a little crazy, and it just hasn't really changed. Um, I got interested in service learning pretty much way back forever and never really had the time or the wherewithal or the understanding of how to get myself hooked into that. And so with the unfortunate earthquake in Haiti in 2010, that kind of jump-started me. I was at a place where I had like some time that I could take off and they needed people and I'm crazy enough to go by myself to a country I've never been to before and just try out and see what it was like. And my experience that year led to another experience in Haiti with two different organizations the next year. And then I had a lot of student interest because at that point I was teaching and I didn't really feel like it might be the best place for me to take students. And certainly it wouldn't be a lot of students. And that's when I was approached by some other people at Samuel Merritt in our physician assistant program and our nursing program who had been doing some international work in Panama. And they had heard I'd gone to Haiti and literally the quote from the nurse practitioner was, what about that Sharon person? She's crazy enough to go to Haiti. She'll probably love to come and join us in Panama. And that's kind of started my like last seven years of my 
work with those individuals and all of our students here at Samuel Merritt going to this one community in Panama. So yeah, it's all, all you have to do is kind of get yourself out there and somebody will notice that you're a little, hey, she seems like she's interesting and that could happen. So be open when people ask you things because you might just change your entire life. <laughs> I love that. Uh, what about that Sharon lady? That is like the greatest quotation ever. Well, you know, so since this has happened, Sharon, Samuel Merritt has been able to kind of integrate this into their DPT curriculum. Tell us a little bit about how this has happened and how common service-based learning is in DPT curriculums. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can kind of organize your head around service-based learning because there's, you know, communities right in your own community and a lot of programs do those kinds of service-based learning and we do that here at Samuel Merritt as part of our program. We have some experiential labs where we have community participants come in and the students work with them when they have a variety of diagnoses from neurologic problems to musculoskeletal problems. A lot of facilities might have pro bono clinics that they use, or they might be affiliated with other community-based services in their area so their students can get some exposure to some different patient populations. And then there's that whole aspect of international service learning that kind of takes things to a slightly different level. As far as general service-based learning and physical therapy education, I went looking through the literature and there's not really a whole lot on just general do programs do this. Um, there are some studies related to international service learning and international clinical experiences that have come out of Cecilia Pichak's work in both 2009 and 2012. And, you know, yeah, a lot of programs offer this maybe not as a requirement or not as something that can be used for clinical hours. So our, our particular international experiences here at Samuel Marriott are not part of our clinical education sequence because of all of the issues around getting contracts and insurance and verifying that students are getting hours where they're practicing at the level that we would need them to get practice to practice in the United States. And, you know, even our clinic in Panama, I'll be the first one to say that's it, you know, it's for three days. It's not going to count for clinical education time, but it's a great extra experience that students can have. And again, you know, some of these studies have shown, you know, anywhere between 23 and 43% of programs offer something international. And, and then some of those programs offer ones that are long enough that can actually count for clinical experience. One of the things I did notice when I was reading these papers is if, if programs are using this as an international clinical experience, so it's actually used as clinical time for a student, those placements tended not to be into the low and low, lower middle income countries based on WHO designation. So they're not really in very poverty stricken areas that might have a lot of different patient populations than what we would see in the United States. So there is that kind of going on. And, and again, we've really integrated ours as we're trying to do this idea of some courses are gonna have a component of that course that's gonna have some community service that is part of the class. At other programs, they have like a whole course that's just on service learning and students have to do projects. Um, our university now is toying around with one of our capstone groups this year and next year, they're looking at doing community-based research where they have to partner with the community organization and conduct some kind of research. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And if you're interested as a program, you know, 
do all of your lovely searches and you know especially the journal of physical therapy education has a lot of different papers on how programs have done this in all of the different ways that they can do it which is great and in the last few years there's been a real boom of pro bono clinics and organizations and meetings around universities that run these kinds of clinics so that those clinics can get up and started, can start turning up some kinds of research on whether this is effective for students, and just to kind of network with each other. Because, you know, a lot of PT programs aren't associated with a big, you know, university health center where maybe these kinds of clinics already exist. So starting it from scratch can be a little intimidating, but there's a lot of research out there if people are willing to look for it. I have a student right now that I'm um, doing some clinical teaching with at my practice, and his next clinical is actually in Italy, and it's a 10-week-long you know, clinical rotation, and it's interesting that you say that it seems like some of these clinical rotations that actually count are in more of these higher-income countries like Italy, and not in the lower-income countries where poverty is higher and probably the need is higher. So tell me a little bit about about kind of your thoughts on maybe why that is? Well, some of it is, you know, we have a responsibility as educators when we're planning clinical education for students that we're preparing them for what they're going to be seeing here. And what you tend to see in some of these lower and lower middle income countries is not necessarily the same problems and the same populations that you see here. And in many cases, they're very, very complicated. And again, it's not that we don't like students to see complicated, but having this expectation that they can manage those kinds of patients all by themselves in a very resource-challenged environment with really high stress is maybe not something that should count towards their clinical hours. And it's not that we don't think these experiences are beneficial. I definitely think they are, but I think if you're really trying to prepare an entry-level clinician, being able to manage that kind of situation more independently is not something I would expect from a new grad. And that might be setting somebody up. You know, if you've got grading schemas of students have to meet certain criteria on the CPI and be able to handle things independently, um, you know, you can be setting them up for a really challenging experience that isn't really going to be what they see when they're in practice. So that's where some of this, I think, comes from is like, trying to get an experience that is somewhat equivalent to what they might get here, or at least with populations and problems that they would see here. Because if all of the problems are really different and students haven't been educated to prepare for them, and all of the practice requirements are incredibly stressful and complex because of the resource allocation issues and the transportation issues, that's not really setting somebody up for what they need to graduate from. But I think the idea of being able to let them see that and be exposed to that is certainly important and that it is a transferable skill the other direction. I just don't know if we would be necessarily doing the best things for students by sending them to a very poorly resourced country. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. What do you think the pros and cons are of doing, say, like an international-based service learning or domestic-based service learning? You know... I think we need to remember that depending on where you're doing a clinical placement in this country, it could be incredibly poorly resourced and have an incredible need. If you're working at a county hospital, if you're in a very rural practice setting, um, that could actually be just as beneficial on a human standpoint as going to another country. Um, and also there have been talks, and at least you know in the global health community, about 
we need to be really careful that we're not coming in and trying to save another country, that we're not playing the Western savior role, because that should not be our part. And, you know, if you're bringing a student to another country and that country doesn't have a lot of physical therapists, you're potentially taking patients away from the few physical therapists that are actually there. And that's a lot of resources to get somebody to another country and house them and take care of them and make sure they're safe while they're there. And would it maybe be better to have a fundraiser raise that money and support paying the salary of a PT that's going to actually live in that community for more than eight or 10 weeks on a placement? And this is one of the things that, that's come up you know, in medical education as well, is is that really serving that country the best that it could versus maybe somebody comes in who's an experienced PT and works with the PTs that work there and supports them on expanding their knowledge in areas of expertise that they might not have anyone in that country to help them with versus sending students who maybe don't have the highest level of skill and are really just maybe somewhat of a drain on that system. And I think it's ignoring the fact that in the United States, there are plenty of communities that are under-resourced and understaffed for PT, and students can get the same kind of experience here without having to learn another language and to understand that this country has needs that are maybe potentially going unmet. So there's a lot of push and pull there and a lot of things to consider. And I'm not saying that any one of those is bad. I really just, my big one is people need to be very thoughtful about when they're doing international service learning because there is the potential for harm that I think we don't always recognize and, and being cognizant that you're doing the least that you can to minimize that harm and trying to maximize the you know, follow through and predictability of care in a country is an important aspect to think about. I think that's a really important point. I think that um, you know we as Westerners sometimes forget that you know, not only are we help, needing to help these people, but we have to make it sustainable. And I think that that's a huge mistake that maybe we've made in the past, just in general as a country. And when we try to implement some of these uh, programs to try to improve public health in these countries, if you don't have a sustainable end after the program is completed, then everything just goes back to where it is. So I think you make a really good point on sustainability. And you had mentioned that, you know, medical education is starting to do some of these same things. What other healthcare fields are integrating service-based learning into their curriculums? And can you maybe speak a little bit about what medical education is as well as some of the other healthcare professions? Well, definitely medical education, and they've got a long history as well as nursing and dentistry um, of serving in other countries and that and that includes all of the different specialties and subspecialties they have a long history of of this and again i think the big change that at least i've seen in the last five years is really this emphasis on you need to assess your program sustainability you need to assess your program's ability to be building capacity in the country or the place that you're trying to help and not actually taking away capacity and at least for me when I've tried to be involved in these programs, that's been a thing that I try to make sure I understand where I fit into that piece. You know, one of the, uh, the places that I volunteered in Haiti, I made sure I chose places that had actually been there before the earthquake, and we're gonna have a commitment to stay after the earthquake, because I didn't wanna just be one of those, I'm gonna fly in and fly out and maybe leave a gap and not actually help anything. And so that was important to me. And that was another important aspect when I started doing this program at Samuel Merritt, where we go to Panama, was in the past, 
the groups that had been going there had been doing that, come to one community and leave, go to a different community and leave. And it was actually starting to frustrate some of my colleagues because they were like, I don't know if we're really making much of a difference. And so that's when we worked with our partners in Panama in, in a nonprofit that we work with there to really go, well, where's a community that has a big need where we can be committed? And so this is going to be our seventh year of going back to that same community and working with them. And we have built relationships and I have seen children grow up and people get married and people have kids and their families are growing. And we have really worked with that community to try and help give them what they need and be consistent for them because they really had a problem with access. Yeah, I think that building relationships obviously is a really important part of our job. And if you're only going to a community for three days, you know, again, like what type of difference are you really making in the long term? So I really like that point that you make. What are some of the organizations that you have worked with or that you know of that allow students or physical therapists to kind of go to some of these communities that have a consistent presence um, that maybe people can check out? The one that I'm most familiar with is Health Volunteers Overseas. And their kind of, you know, spin on this is they're really looking for, unfortunately not students, but for a very clear reason, they're looking for practitioners who have expertise because their real goal is to go into these areas with these groups and provide education for the providers that already work there so that they can bring up the expertise and fill in gaps that they might have and provide them with education, training, and mentorship to help the capacity grow for the people who live in that country and already do this work there. So how can they provide training and mentorship and program development to help grow physical therapy. And they do have very specific physical therapy as one of their targeted professions um, so that, that that can happen. And again, in this idea of building capacity and being sustainable and understanding that it isn't people from the West coming in and doing this and then having to leave and pull out. And that's just one organization. APTA, I'm pretty sure it's still there. I did not check today. Um, used to have a webpage that had some different organizations that were both based in the U.S. and based internationally that were very tuned to physical therapy needs too, because this is one of the things I initially years ago had looked into Doctors Without Borders. And I love this organization. I don't at all want to disparage them, but rehabilitation is not one of their goals. And they're not really all that interested in having a rehab presence because they've got their medical presence and what they do in very emergent situations. And that's what they do. And so finding a group that really is interested more in the non-communicable disease aspects um, of rehab and things like that can sometimes be a challenge. But again, I know APTA had a website that had some organizations that were really just targeted towards physical therapy or very clearly included physical therapy, which was helpful. And that's where I found the organizations I volunteered with when I went to Haiti was through them. Yeah, I know that Move Together is an organization that sponsors a lot of or helps a lot of physical therapists do some work like this. And I think Stand for Haiti is another one that... Two other really good ones that are sustainable. Again, they're, they're going back to the same communities and building relationships and trying to just target an area and a need, which I think is really, really important. Again, I think all of us kind of want to help everybody, but you have to recognize that 
you know, that's probably not going to serve the people that you're trying to help. If you're just bouncing around all the time, that's not really going to increase anyone's, you know, aspect, I guess. Right. So how can other schools integrate service-based learning into their curriculums if they don't already have that as a part of um, their curriculum, whether it be domestically or internationally? I think the big one is really just to kind of what is your capacity? Because again, it's really easy to try and set up a program and, and blow it out for like a month and then forget that you need to have this on some kind of regular basis. So, you know, doing a really careful needs assessment of like who could be involved, who's going to supervise, how is this going to fit in your curriculum? And I know that's all the boring stuff that nobody wants to do. But, you know, like any good project, a lot of the pre-planning will make sure that everything gets executed really well. And I think people need to really, especially programs that maybe aren't affiliated with a medical school, um, look at what already exists in your community. Do you have a senior center that would really benefit from having students come in on a regular basis? Do you have another health professions program that could be enhanced by having an interprofessional aspect? Um, I know our nursing program was already out in the community doing a lot of things. And so one of the things we're looking at as we're trying to grow our programs and opportunities is, well, you're already, you know, kind of got a, a feed into that particular clinic. How could PT come and help? And again, if you're talking interprofessional, quite honestly, a lot of other professions maybe don't even know that PT could come in and help. So, you know, maybe what has to happen is that you know you go and observe what they're doing at that clinic in the community and kind of assess what's going on there and go hey you know I'm the PT I have some great ideas this is how we could do this um, there like I said there's so many ways to do it and the great news is that because a good chunk of this because it's service-based learning is set in education and educators love to publish things because that's part of their job. <laughs> there are a lot of roadmaps and ideas that have been published that people could, you know, look through and go, Hey, how could we adapt this? So it works for us and works for our program works for our student. Because I think, you know, trying to take one model and shove it in everywhere is a recipe for disaster because that's never going to work. You know, maybe you already have a clinical partnership with your local, um, you know, kind of county hospital. County hospitals always have needs. So is there a way to meet with the PT department at the county hospital and go, how could we provide a clinic that you guys wish you could do, but you don't have staffing for it, or you can't pay your clinicians to do it. And we have students who could come in and maybe do that for free for you. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And, you know, with kind of APTA's focus being more on public health and looking a little bit more globally at how physical therapists can, you know, work with other professionals on this. This is something that I feel like has been a really hot topic, especially at like House of Delegates. So like, what do you think is do, is uh, that, what do you think APTA is doing well? And what do you think APTA could improve on in integrating service-based learning into population health, whether it be within a curriculum or just in the profession as a whole? I think the great things that they're doing, you know, the update a few years ago to the code of ethics where they very specifically pointed out a responsibility to be at least supportive of pro bono care, if not actually delivering it, you need, you know, it is expected that PTs are supportive of it. Okay, how can I be supportive? Maybe I'm just supportive because 
I can donate to a group like Move Together, or I can make sure I get my health system tied in with my local PT program so that they can figure something out. Um, I think things like House of Delegates and all of the different motions that have come through there in the last few years, having such strong debate and such good support is a big thing. I also think, you know, having things like the Oxford debate that happened last year about, you know, health and wellness and nutrition and all these other aspects is really important because that's a component of service learning that could easily happen in a community. I think we need to start thinking out of the box a lot, you know, telehealth and tele-rehab is, is, is here, whether people acknowledge that or not. And that could be a great way to do service learning, you know, could students set up a podcast and get that out to people? Could they partner with a senior center in a very rural area that maybe doesn't have somebody to help lead an exercise class? And they could do that remotely. How can we think of all the different things that we've got working for us in our country and how can we spread that around? What's a good program? How do we spread it? Um, I, I, you know, I do think APTA could do a little bit better at helping people network together. You know, they've got a lot of big systems and they got a big reach. How can they help facilitate some of this, you know, partnership between clinical sites and maybe between programs that really want to do these different programs or even amongst programs? Um, a lot of this happens, you know, in like the Academy for Education but does it really get out to clinicians who could be really interested in doing this, but they just don't know how or who to connect with? Because a lot of the time when I talk to different clinicians about what I'm doing in Haiti, they're like, or, or what I'm doing in Panama, they're like, wow, that's great. How can I be involved? And it's really just, they have no idea that these things might be happening. So how do we network people better? And again, because they have such a big reach, because we've got so many numbers who are members, um, how, how do we maximize that and play on that? Yeah, and I think, you know, a really good example of that is PT Day of Service. I mean, that's a service-based activity that APTA is, is affiliated with APTA, started by actually a couple of my friends, um, Josh D'Angelo, Keaton Ray, Fosa, um, you know, huge, now it's been a global PT Day of Service. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with PT Day of Service and how you think it has helped advance the ability of schools or end physical therapists to integrate service or service-based learning into, you know, the curriculum or even into their lives as physical therapists, kind of living by those that new code of ethics that we've added to the APTA code of ethics. I think it's a wonderful opportunity because again, and I like that that it started and APTA kind of went, how can we help be a sponsor and be involved? And they didn't take it over, which I actually think is great. Um, <laughs> that they're just, how can we help you? Because that was a great idea. And that's a, another perfect example of like how to build partnerships and for how they can use their reach to help magnify some of these programs by getting the word out. Um, I think it's great because the way that whole system is structured is it really puts the emphasis on a group to figure out what they want to do, which I really like at my institution because sometimes it feels like all it is is the faculty are designing all these educational things and it's not really that it's coming from the students who I know are interested in this. The students we have today all are interested in this. So that's been great for us because we've let that be a, hey students, 
this thing is coming. You need to get together and figure out what you're going to do and how can we just support you and help you as faculty. And we'd love to volunteer with your project, but you need to step up and take the leadership for this. And so it gives them an opportunity to like experience leadership in this, to really get involved and have it be something that they own versus something that we make them do. Um, and then they get to see that faculty want to be involved as well. And when they're doing these projects, they get to see other people doing projects, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and I think that we really get to see, especially because everybody does the PT Day of Service on one specific day, you know, and it's streamed all across social media. And you really get to see like what people are doing. And like going back to what you said before, Sharon, thinking outside of the box when it comes to service, like you don't have to go to Haiti to have a service-based learning project. You can do it right in your own backyard. You can do it in your clinic. You can offer pro bono, bono services. So I think that that's one thing that I think is a really great point that you made and how you know we can share all of these ideas to really cater to what our community needs. And I think that's a big thing that like with this big push of thinking more on a public health aspect, you know, you've got to go back to your public health roots and it all starts with a really good needs assessment and understanding who is this group that you want to help and what is the thing I have that can help them. Instead of, oh, I have this great idea, let me just go push it out on people. You really have to, like, what is available? What is needed? One of the years our students volunteered at the food bank, that was great for PT Day of Service. One year they went and fixed up a park um, in a nearby area in Oakland. One year they volunteered and like painted a community center and helped some plants and made sure people were being healthy while they're planting things. Um, you know, and so just all these different ideas. This year I think they're gonna try and work. We have we have an ethnic health institute here at Samuel Merritt, and they do a lot of community hikes. And the PT students have been involved on showing up at the hikes and making sure people have safe footwear, making sure everybody's kind of stretched and warmed up before they start hiking, monitoring people who maybe are a little slower, making sure that they're safe. And I'm hoping that this year, maybe that'll be one of their projects so they, they can coordinate with other groups on our campus to get involved in our PT day of service. But there's no reason the nursing students can't help out with our PT day of service project. Right. And I think that, you know, PT Day of Service wants to branch out not just to physical therapists, but other healthcare providers as well. And I know that, you know, you've kind of explained some of these projects that your students have done. But tell us some other stories about how service based learning has really impacted your students and how they've potentially even affected their careers. So one of our students who volunteered, um, I think it was right before she was graduating from PT school, she went to Panama with us on one of our Panama trips and really um, did not have a whole lot of sp medical Spanish, which is fine because we have translators and all of that, but kind of pushed herself to try and learn some Spanish while she was on this trip and really got invigorated by having to work on her narrative clinical reasoning to understand what the lives of these people were like so that she could really give them the best advice as to how to stay healthy. Um, because, you know, this rural community, you know, they do not live in a house like we live in. They don't have heating. They don't have air conditioning. They oftentimes sleep on a pallet on the floor. You know, things like at one point she was trying to give him an exercise and she was like, so you hold on to a chair. And I was like, okay, we have to stop and back up, Kim does your patient have a chair? Because you're assuming she's got furniture in her house like you have. So you're gonna have to check that 
first and then you know might have to adapt how you're going to have her stabilize herself if that's not something that's available and she was just like intrigued by all of this came back she emailed me a few months later she had taken a job in a very rural area of california where the population was heavily spanish speaking and had enrolled in a medical spanish class and her comment was after going to panama i know i can learn how to speak spanish better so that i can interact with my patients better because i know i can help them and a lot of people might not want to do that job and i know i can do it now that's awesome what a great story you know like it's interesting how, you know, just spending a few days in a place can really change kind of the trajectory of your career, or change kind of what you want to specialize in. Uh, you're president of the APTA Academy for Acute Care Physical Therapy. How have you used your passion for service-based learning to advance the academy? So kind of changing gears here from how has your, your students' lives been changed by some of this to how have you used your vision for the academy to kind of change what the Academy is all about. So with my working partners here at Samuel Merritt, with all of this Panama stuff, we started a nonprofit to help organize those trips a few years ago called Hands for Global Health. And so I have been a little bit of a like, hey, Hands for Global Health person everywhere I go. So at all of our Academy board meetings, I collect toiletries from anybody who brings them and I bring them on our trips to Panama. <laughs> That's like easy way. <laughs> but the other thing that I've done is because I'm such a big supporter of Global PT Day of Service is I have made sure that we have worked in, in our budget that we can be a sponsor every year because they do take sponsorship dollars. And, and being an academy that's so spread out across the country, it's like we can't have, you know, come academy members to this one place and help us volunteer on this project. Cause we did talk about that like ooh, could we do a project and it was like that'd be a little hard because only our members in that area could do that and we have you know almost four thousand members but they're spread all over the united states so we thought it would be better if we committed to being a partner and then being a sponsor of global pt day of service and help them out financially that way and then promote their activities to our members so we're a sponsor. We proudly bear that sponsorship. We put that in our newsletter. We encourage all of our members to go and join a project and then share with us if they've joined a project. So at least I can do that on that aspect. <laughs> That's great. You know, because I, I know in the past, well, the Education and Leadership Conference seems to almost always land on PT Day of Service since it's pretty much started. And I know in the past that some of the conferences they have had like they've collected backpacks one year, so they have had some fundraisers for it. I don't know if the Academy for PT Education has ever been a formal sponsor, but you know, for all the other sections, people in, in leadership and sections across the APTA that may be listening to this, this may be a pretty good challenge. Maybe you can beat the Academy. Every for, section to sponsor yeah. some maybe, level. Maybe you can be, beat the Academy for physical therapy sponsoring global PT day of service do like a little bit of a friendly competition I'm actually gonna do that because we have a section president meeting at next every year and I am actually going to challenge all of the sections to sponsor global PT day of service at whatever level that they can based on their budgets but I'm gonna challenge all of them to do that this year I really like that idea I love that I love that that's awesome. Well, there you guys go. So if you are in a leadership position for one of the sections or academies in APTA, Sharon is challenging you for 
to see who can raise the most funds or help out PT Day of Service. That's great. You know, uh, obviously, Sharon, you're super passionate about this. What is your vision in healthcare in regards to service-based learning? I mean, I've always admired you as a leader, and I'm really interested to kind of hear your overall big picture view on how service-based learning can really improve healthcare. We have a lot of gaps in our healthcare system, and we have a lot of people with need that don't, that go without, and especially go without for things like rehab. And I think that we have a very unique position in that for many people, all they need from a physical therapist is a basic examination and some really strong advice on how they can maybe live their lives a little bit healthier and ways to do that. And we have that. And I think we need to be a lot more willing to find ways to share that with people. And I'm probably going to get all weirdly choked up right now. And so I'm just warning you because this is, I, my first job was at a county hospital and I have held that with me my entire career. I treated lots of patients who are homeless, lots of patients that didn't have insurance, lots of patients that really had to go without a lot of things. And you know what? We can teach them how to feel better in their bodies and how to move better and how to have less pain. And irregardless of where you live or what you have, you always have your body. And if you can live your life in that body more comfortably, more safe, more healthy, more able to do the things that you want to do, that is really an important skill that we have and that we can share that with people. I think we just need to step out of our comfort zone and find those people and try and find a way to help them. I think that that is so incredibly beautiful, Sharon. Uh, my first clinical rotation was also in a county hospital. It was at Denver Health Medical Center, which is a, ve a very similar population to what you described. And I remember, I remember on during like my during my clinical experience, I my clinical instructor was telling me that first week a lot of the patients that we see here don't have insurance, and you know, we need to stand up for them and we need to make sure they get the services that they, that they require in order to get them better. And you're going to see a lot of stuff here that a lot of people maybe don't see. And it's your responsibility to really make sure that they go home as pain-free and as safe as they can. And I mean, I've never forgotten that. And that was such an incredible experience as a student because I mean, I treated people all the way from people who were incarcerated all the way up to, you know, I mean, there were some people who were rel relatively wealthy that ended up going to this center because it's a level one trauma center, you know? So it was such a huge gap. And I think that that is something that we need to really remember in physical therapy is that we're treating people from all levels. And we really have to make sure that people are safe and that we can offer, that we can help them, even if it's just a little bit with, you know, helping them get access to a walker so that they can, you know, not fall when they're, you know, walking around outside. I think that that's a really important point. So I just, I think you said that so beautifully. I think a lot of physical therapists recognize in their heart that healthcare is a human right. But I think we need to do a better job about what does that mean as far as how we act. So, you know, that to recognize that we have to push ourselves to find ways to make that be real. And I think that leads us into, you know, our, our last major question of this interview, and that's 
You know, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether it be in physical therapy or, you know, other professions, what would you change and how would you change it? I would make sure all PT students really had a mentored experience in an underserved area that was really suffering from some kind of health inequity, where they could see what that does to individuals and what that does to the community and how powerful their presence. It's easy to think we only do PT. We don't do the big fancy surgeries. We don't do you know, the big fancy public health things. But I don't think PTs value sometimes the fact that we have these personal connections with people and we make people feel better. And that is not anything to be discounted. But I think we need to understand how certain populations have structurally suffered in our healthcare system and in our society and how we can play a role in trying to fix that and to be very cognizant that those structural inequities exist and that those healthcare inequities exist so that it can empower people to ask the question, how do I help make this better? Because I, it's not going to be a thing where just seeing it makes it better. But if people don't see it, they don't understand how it exists, they're never going to ask the question about how do I improve that? What can I do as a person, which might not feel like a big thing, but even the, if all the people took the small step, the small step is going to matter. Yeah, and I think that that's really important in helping us become leaders in healthcare. Because, I mean, if you look at, if you look at one of the biggest complaints people have about people who are making our laws, about policymakers, is that they don't understand what other people are going through. And if we as physical therapists can not only understand that, because we've seen it and we've experienced it and we empathize with, the, with that person or that group, we can really even help communicate that. So when it comes to public health problems, not only are we helping the individual, but when it comes to a global public health issue, like we can even have a bigger impact than just what we can bring to that person, that group, that community. I mean, maybe it could even be to the world. It makes you a better citizen, which makes you a better human. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, Sharon, this has been quite a conversation. It's been, you know, very moving, very emotional. And I just appreciate how you've described what service-based learning and the joy that it can bring to you as a physical therapist, to students, and to a, a PT program or a healthcare program. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to reach out to you. How can people reach out to you on social media or, or email if they want to contact you? I am on Twitter at PT. Um, so find me there, or uh, the Academy of Acute Care. We have a Twitter feed as well, Acute, Acute Care APTA. <laughs> and we also have a Facebook page. Um, our website has my personal email on it. You can contact me there. Um, I would love to, to network with more people who are interested in, in this, help people find ways to make this happen for them, if that's what they want, because I am a big believer that this kind of experience can really kind of change your life and change your outlook for the better. And really, you know, if you're looking for a great way to achieve that fourth aim of self-care, um, it can be a great way to reinvigorate you about your career if you're feeling a little burnt out. Well, thank you so much, Sharon. Definitely reach out to Sharon on social media. She's got a great social media feed. 
It's uh, very in entertaining and informative. So make sure you reach out to her. And thank you so much, Sharon, for this amazing conversation. And thank you, our audience members, for listening to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.